we would like to begin by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record today, and pay our respects to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Rule Breaker Style Maker, a podcast breaking down the so-called fashion rules that we hold and that hold us back in our life and our style. Through conversations with industry guests and the Australian Style Institute team, we explore how breaking a rule can change a life. I'm your host, Lauren D. Bartolo. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back. We are here for another episode where I'm joined by Claire Jensen. Hello. I can't wait to discuss what we are today. Shopping. It's something that people have a love-hate relationship with. Some people can shop for days and it's like a pastime. Ask them what their favourite thing to do is or what they do for fun and they'll tell you shopping and other people will say, oh my gosh, stick a needle in my eye, I'll do anything before I have to go and update my wardrobe. We hear a lot of different takes on this topic, don't we? Yeah, I was definitely the person who loved shopping growing up. And I don't think that's really changed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I do have friends who are like, I don't know how you do that. It just exhausts me. I can spend an hour and they've gotten dressed, they've gotten in the car, they've found a car park and then they go into store only to spend an hour. And I'm like, what a waste of time. In my opinion, you've got to invest a little bit more to find the right pieces, which I know is one of the frustrations we'll talk to today. But um, yeah, I just, I love, I mean, they don't call it retail therapy for nothing, (laughs) but I love that sort of like dopamine hit that I get when I've got something new in the wardrobe. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that shopping is a process and there is a lot of psychology that goes into actually finding something that we love. It's not so much a hit and miss or a lotto like some people think. You know, I might be lucky and find something today. It's, it's actually quite different to that. So I'm looking forward to getting into really some of the mechanics, I guess, that we're always considering as stylists when it comes to helping someone to shop more effectively. And what a lot of people don't realise is it's not just about what we need to do. Sometimes it's about what we need to stop doing. I know something that I want to chat to today is people pleasing. Uh, There's a lot of, oh, maybe I should buy it because I've had really great service and um, I kind of feel like I'm obliged to. And we know that's never, never a good time to buy. So uh, there's no judgment in this space. I want to say that because shopping is not a linear or simple process. Mm. Um, And Sometimes it's a lot of fun, but not always. So let's dive into how our listeners can start to shop more like a stylist does. I think a lot of it comes down to knowing not exactly what you're looking for, but maybe the category of garment. So what I mean by that is a skirt or a top, or are you looking for footwear, but knowing the sort of piece that you need and how that's going to fit back with your wardrobe is a big help because if you're just going in and like window shopping's great, there's, there's reason for that. Cause sometimes you're just wanting to see what's new before you make a decision as to what you need. But there is a lot to be said for people who I guess, go in to a shopping centre or a particular store and walk out empty-handed and feel that depressed, frustrated. Or what I hear quite often is there's just nothing for me. There's nothing that I like. 
I hate everything, nothing fits. But a lot of the time what I observe is that they don't actually know what garment they're looking for. They're just hoping to find almost like needle in a haystack. Yes. So sometimes it's specific garments we need to tie our wardrobes together to build outfits. And other times it's an outcome or an event that we're actually shopping for. I remember a few years ago, my sister was shopping for a wedding that she had coming up. And she said, Lauren, I've been shopping. I've taken a look at a whole lot of places and I can't find anything. And when I asked her, what are you looking for? She said, oh, anything, a dress ideally and maybe midi, you know, or um, below the knee. I don't really mind. And what she thought she had was a whole lot of options. But when I asked her what that visual was in her mind of um, what she was looking for, and then when she couldn't answer that, it was what was the last thing that you wore to a wedding that you felt good in? She gave me the description of a black dress that she had worn. Now, this dress was in Europe in summer and in her mind it was going to be colour or print. So, but what her reticular activating system was looking for was not that at all. So she was going into these stores looking for what fit her shape, size and taste at the time. But that was some time ago and like everything in life, she'd evolved. So that's where there can be this mismatch that what we think we're looking for is not necessarily spot on. The other thing is I went to a wedding recently myself and I knew how I wanted to feel and I realised that actually wasn't in a dress, it was in a suit. And so I was still able to shop for the outcome. It just wasn't by the unconscious expectation that I'd set that, oh, it's a wedding, so I'm going to be in a dress, in a dress of a certain fabric and style. So let's explore what is really the engine behind what helps us to purchase or not. And that comes down to rules. So when it comes to shopping well, the better that we know ourselves, the better the outcome is going to be. And that starts with something that we call rules or unconscious rules. Um, In a previous episode, we explored bias, which forms part of this. It's those habitual and unconscious processes that we run when we're doing something like shopping, for example. But rules impact slightly differently in the sense that they are conditions that we've created that will impact our success when we're shopping or not. Take, for example, this. If you've got a rule that you will not spend more than $100 on a piece, you can be going into your nearest Westfield where there is countless options, but you will still be filtering what's available to you by this unconscious rule, which is why even to our listeners now, if I was to ask, what would you expect to spend on a pair of jeans if you were to go shopping today? There will be a number or a, or a range that will come to mind. Mm. If I ask you to think about buying a white button-down shirt, you would have a number and it would probably be based on what you'd last spent, usually. The thing is that, again, as our lives evolve, so do our budgets, our tastes, and also how we wear what we wear, our lifestyle changes. So let's explore some of those rules that I think – If we can call them out, there'll be a lot of people listening that will resonate with this and go, "Uh aha, I do that and this is what I can do instead. Mm. I think something that comes to mind around spend as well is it's not just the threshold of what's too much to spend, but sometimes it's what we then determine as too inexpensive or cheap, for lack of a better word, as to how that... And cheap is so interesting as a word when it's shop because... You know, it could mean, I mean, if I think about my mum, cheap would be like, oh, that's cheap and nasty. Yep. Something like that. Yep. But cheap 
when it's in comparison to just the numbers takes away some of those other things that sometimes we make it mean. Um, and everyone's got different budgets that they can and can't spend depending on their disposable income. But um, I think there's a level of what we're not willing to dip below that might then transcend into things like what we perceive as quality um, or brand affinity and things like that. I don't know if you've got the same opinion, but that's what I've observed. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is another layer to rules, which is that when we are in a shopping environment in store, we have an expectation of what we have from the sales assistant, for example. So I hear people often say, if I didn't get acknowledged when I walked in, I'm not buying from this shop. (laughs) Now, someone listening might think, yeah, well, of course you wouldn't. Um, But does that really matter if you're in there to find something for yourself? Because I know when I walk out of that store, it's my piece anyway. It doesn't matter whether I got service or not. That mm-hmm. said, I want great service. Um, we don't take the time to go into a store for, for nothing. But um, that that can inhibit whether someone buys or not. Um, then there's it was too pushy. I don't want to buy anything because, you know, the service is too pushy. Another unconscious rule is... I won't engage with the sales assistant because I know that if the service is good, I will feel a need (laughs) to buy. Now, I know that might sound a little crazy, but we hear this all the time. We we see it come to life in our classrooms as well with our students where they say, oh my gosh, yeah, that's me. And I've definitely got to be aware of that so I don't put that on other people, that if I get good service, I will feel the need to buy. It's this whole like reciprocity thing. So think pretty woman that really fantastic scene of Julia Roberts, you know, she finally has the cash in her hand to go out shopping. She heads into the store, um, you know, from from not having the money to then having all the money in the world that she could shop with. The experience that she gets is different. But um, I think that that kind of dramatised way of shopping is what people will sometimes think. They were warm to me or they weren't. They judged me or they didn't. And I think the more confident we can be in ourselves when we're shopping, the better the experience that we're going to have is mm. and not not have it be impacted so much by the other consumers or, or staff in the store. Mm. I love being approached by sales assistants because they know mm. their product better than anyone. Yeah. And I love it when they can – in fact, I've been into a couple of stores – over even the last 12 months where the team member that has worked with me has bought me pieces that I didn't even see on the rack to begin with when I did my own sort of shop. But they've been the pieces that I've actually walked out of the store with because they knew what would work for my shape or things that I was looking for based on the information that I gave them. But on the flip side of that, I mean, we experienced this recently where we went into a store in Melbourne City. I think we were in there for two to three minutes and the person who was working in that store didn't even look up from their phone behind the counter which in this day and age to me is crazy because you hear about the state of retail and sales and things like that. You'd think there's two people in the store who might want to purchase, you know, give them the time, energy and investment to make that a great experience. Yeah. It really sort of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth, but, um, you know, it's unfortunately something that we come up against more often than not. Yeah, you know what, there are great experiences and, and this isn't like a, a a trash the Australian retail um, scene because we're very involved in it. We we do train Australian retailers. Um, but 
I think expectation is a lot. So it's interesting. Sometimes poor service can be, I mean, we could look at it in two different ways. One is they didn't even acknowledge me, so I won't give them any, I won't give them my money. Another is they didn't acknowledge me and there's no one sort of bothering me. I can use this store as a playground. I can try as many things on as I'd like. I've got all the time in the world. I'm not going to be bothered at any point because they don't even know I'm here. And so I think I want to bring it back to the fact that the experience that we have cannot be shaped purely by other people. Mm. We still need to come back to what is it that I'm looking for. So I want to look at it from the perspective of being the person who is the sales assistant. If you've never worked in retail, um, you might not know what it's like to be on that side. Um, I know I've been in retail since I actually it was before it was legal for me to be working. I was, you know, <laughs> I was working for nothing, you know, for my mom and you know, family, friends at different stages. But um, I've, I've not worked in hospitality. So I know that there are friends that will have a lot more empathy for people who work in hospitality because they get what it's like to try and juggle, you know, 10 different requests at a time and three plates. Whereas I don't know, but retail I do. And I was taught a really valuable lesson when I was younger from um, two women who are exceptional Melbourne fashion retailers um, and were unofficially mentors at the time. And one of them noticed that I was wrapping up a sale with a customer that I was working with. And she, she noticed that because the customer was in the fitting room I'd moved to the back of the counter and I had started to wrap up, fold, detag her garments. And she said to me, Lauren, what are you doing here? The customer's still in the fitting room trying things on. And the indicator was that she'd come out of the fitting room and then she'd do another lap around the store and then she'd find additional pieces to take in. So I'd already done the beginning of like finding what she was in looking for, but she was happy playing. She was experiencing what we call that has been around for a million years, the art of dressing. She was in this really great space of trying things on and seeing what worked. And she was also adding more and more pieces to the purchase that she was about to make. But I was 18 at the time. I didn't have her budget, which was thousands of dollars. And I had almost tapped out, you could say, at the point of where I felt discomfort with her spend, not where she did. So what's interesting is to consider that when we have rules around spend, we can impact other people. You know, I, I remember, you know, I'd buy clothes when I was younger, I'd go home and the first thing my mum would ask me is how much did it cost? <laughs> and I was looking at, actually, it's like how, and my mum is beautiful, by the way, um, and her intentions were good, but it was one of the reference points that she had and um, I use that example a bit. I think I've shared it here on the podcast and I use it, you know, in our classroom as well, which is your definition of spend and spend at a certain age um, or a certain budget that you would expect people have. It's different from person to person. So if you're working in retail and you're hearing this, please be aware to suspend your own expectations of spend, especially if you're new to a store where you're not yet familiar with what people are used to to spending was one of the best lessons I got because when she, when this mentor of mine said, you have just robbed this woman of her shopping experience. I know they sound like harsh words, but I thought, no, you're right. I'd just taken away that joy by saying, okay, you're ready to, to wrap up now because my threshold would have been, you know, three pieces were done. You know, hers were 10. Mm. So if we are the customer, it's obviously a bit different 
my recommendation is actually give yourself the time when you have it. I know life is busy, but if you are going to go shopping, lock away a little bit of time that you don't feel like you're running into the fitting room and you're running out with your pants half down. Um, (laughs) Claire might have a story on that for us in a minute, but I think it's more about enjoying that art of dressing and don't feel like because you've taken up time in the fitting room or because you've had the assistance of staff that you feel a need to purchase. Purchase if it's right, absolutely, because it means you're going to have new things in your wardrobe, but not because out of some um, unspoken pressure. Mm. I think the fitting room is such a place where people get stuck, especially if no one's there to say swap a size. Sometimes that happens, especially if the store is busy, which is very normal, especially if you're shopping on a weekend and things like that. But um, there also can be quite tight spaces. I know that in my experience, some have been quite small to the point where I've tumbled out of one with denim wrapped around my (laughs) knees. Um, Highly embarrassing. I think I was 14 at the time and absolutely mortified. Um, But yeah, it's just, you know, they they can be quite small, quite hot. The lighting's not always the most flattering. So how do you, I guess, navigate that side of things when it's not how you would wear it in real life even? Yeah, that's a really good point. Firstly, I, th- I think find the best fitting room that you can. For me, that's generally the biggest, uh, as long as obviously it's not a disability um, only fitting room because that's not right. Um, the best lit, meaning that it actually has as much light in there as possible, even though it's going to be overhead lighting and it's not natural. Um, If you are in a store that does have uh, natural light though from the front windows, for example, then choose the fitting room that's actually closest to the store. Sometimes people think, oh, I want to be further away from the people who are in there shopping. But if the light there is better, go for it. And uh, I know from experience of, of dressing lots of women who are having hot flushes, Uh, that um, temperature can be a real problem when it comes to being in the fitting room. So if you're naturally running hot at the time, then don't feel like you have to try everything on all at once. Take a few pieces in, try them on, and then maybe you actually walk back onto the floor again and you actually take a look around and you give yourself that moment because it is really hard to style something well when you're flustered and all you want to do is just put your clothes back on and get on out of there. Uh, So they would be my recommendations. The other thing is rather than just trying to be somewhat invisible and saying, oh, no, I'm good, thank you, and and heading to the fitting room, actually take the time to make sure that the uh, people who are in store know what pieces you're taking in and that you are heading in there so that when you do need that additional size, um, should they be available, you've got those people that are there to assist. There's nothing more frustrating than having to put all your clothes back on, go out and get another size yourself. But let's face it, sometimes it happens depending on the environment. But if you've got those people on your side, and again, they know product, sometimes it might be, you know what, this pant just isn't fitting me. And so it's that person that can say, actually, this just came into store. I think this would be really great. And I'll be back in a second. Um Something that is uh, another recommendation is to take a photo of yourself in the mirror, take a selfie, uh, ideally full length or just crop your head out. But to disassociate, you'll need to crop your head out anyway and ask yourself what you think of the outfit then. So once you've got it on, um, is it sitting in the right places? Again, if lighting's really bad, that can be a little difficult to tell, but it's easier to see from that different perspective than sometimes it is in the mirror because the mirror isn't always honest. Mm. Um, especially in a fitting room. Yeah, I think the spending time there is important. I know 
a lot of my clients have shared with me in the past that they would have never spent as long as in a fitting room as they do with me. They would have tried on two or three pieces, been fed up and then walked out. But, you know, I think that's the beauty of that art of dressing that you were talking about as well. It's not just whether you make a purchase that makes a shopping experience. It's actually giving yourself the time to try things on and do take stock of what's working, what's not, and what you like and what you don't and what feels like you and what doesn't because it'll help... I guess, narrow down. I know many people tell me that they are completely overwhelmed by the amount of options that we have available. Yeah, that's that's commonly shared um, because there is so much choice. We're not just talking about different styles, different colours, different fabrics, and then different store environments from one to the other. So something that's becoming a lot more common in sort of the, the zeitgeist of understanding human behaviour and how we work, us fascinating humans is neurodiverse neurodiversity <laughs> sometimes that word doesn't even come out easily but neurodiversity and it's so important to know what your style of environment is mm. um, sometimes we don't even know that it's a problem until you're in a store and you think oh my gosh there's just so much happening in here I can't even hear myself speak or I'm overwhelmed by the choice in here you know there's a reason why sometimes people will walk into a store and the styling and the visual merchandising will make them feel calm and other times that it feels so hectic that was supre for me back in the day <laughs> I think you've got the same sentiment where my mum if we walked past and I'd be like can we go in there and she'd say oh no we can't go in there it's like a disco and I can't hear myself think <laughs> yeah so it's those sorts of things that can interrupt your ability to process many different things at once, especially when you're looking for something in particular, when there's noise and lights and people and like clutter Yes, in some cases. Not all stores have that, but yes. Supre back in the day, I'm talking, <laughs> talking early 2000s here, um, was very much like that. And it felt like a bit of a nightclub. And I look back now and wonder how I went in there and shopped because my senses now even get a little bit overwhelmed in stores where the music is too loud or it's too dark to see what I'm looking for. So I can only imagine how if you are someone who is neurodiverse, that would just be heightened um, sensory overload almost. Absolutely. That's why a lot of people will go to online shopping Mm. because you can do it in the comfort of your own home where you can control the lights, the sound, the (laughs) ambience. The challenge is that you can't feel the garment of course, you can't. You can once it arrives in your living room, mm. but you can't experience it in that moment, especially if you have an event coming up, you know, later that day or you know that week. So my recommendation is that when you can get into a store, particularly if you're trying styles or brands that you have not worn before, don't just take it as face value of what you can see on the hanger. Take the time, even if it means that you're putting in your Um, earphones when you're in the fitting room to create or block out the noise that you need to actually take the time to experience the garment on you. We have four modalities. We go into a lot more detail about these with our stylists so they can better understand their clients. We have the visual modality, the auditory kinesthetic and the auditory digital. And essentially it's different ways of processing information. And we have an inclination to one primary modality or two, even though as humans we're generally a combination of all of them. Uh, And people who experience um, the world essentially through the visual modality can find shopping quite easy because they Mm -hmm. can identify what they're looking for. But someone who's kinesthetic, who bases their uh, processing information 
on feel, it's really important that they get that tactile experience of the clothes before they can decide whether it's me or not. Mm. So someone who's auditory digital, which is mostly about process and logic, they'll say, yep, it makes sense. Or I think it looks good. Or I think I like it. Whereas someone who's kinesthetic, it's it feels like me or it doesn't. Mm. And so it is so important that if you're the sort of person who is not only tactile, but in order to wear clothes, they need to feel like you, then it's definitely worth going into the store, even if it means that you're somewhat controlling the environment as much as you can yourself. I get mm. that it's easier said than done. We're seeing supermarkets create more neurodiverse experiences or experiential shopping, um, which I think is fantastic. Certain days of the week where there's no music and the mm. lights are, you know, not quite as fluorescent and blinding. Yeah. It's really good to see. I think the headphones thing is a really good tip, especially, I mean, whether you put music on or not, sometimes it's a really good way to drown out some of the background noise and let your thoughts be able to come through. Um, I know one of our stylists um, who actually is neurodiverse has shared that that's something she implements when she shops for herself because she finds it quite overwhelming to be in those stores. But she finds that headphones really help her to almost like compartmentalise what's going on at that point in time, which is really cool. It is cool. So let's share some tips on what we know throughout experience really help uh, someone to get more out of a shopping experience, particularly an in-store one. And I'm going to kick us off by saying, have a roadmap of what you're actually looking for. So firstly, take stock of what you have in the wardrobe and identify any gaps. Uh, You might not have specific gaps in your wardrobe, but the gap might be that there's an event coming up that you realise, actually, I don't have anything that I can wear for this. So that's a gap. If that's the case, get an idea around how you want to look and feel in that outfit or at that event. And like I mentioned with the wedding example before, it doesn't have to be as linear as you're thinking, you know, wedding dress, it could be wedding tux um, or anything in between. So uh, you don't start building a house without blueprints. So, you know, that's the foundation that ensures that you're actually going to bring an idea to life. And the architecture of our style is not that different. Mm. I think setting aside a good chunk of time to actually invest in in the shopping experience is important as well. Um, don't just give yourself, you know, that short, sharp half an hour window. Try and dedicate a little bit more time and lean upon the people in store who can help you or enlist the help of a stylist who has the eye and the knowledge to um, help you bring maybe what you're trying to articulate through yeah. your garments and your fashion and style to life because I know if, you know, what I hear all the time is, I think I know what I want, but I don't know how to achieve it. Yeah. And so, you know, having that objective eye come in is Mm. really, really helpful. Um, I know. I have a confession to make. Go on then. I went shopping last week um, and I thought I'll just do a run in quickly. I parked in a 15 minute car park. (laughs) And so I went into the store and I started having this great experience. um, And the person who was helping me was brilliant. But next minute I had this flash of my car in my um, in my mind and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm way overdue in this 15-minute park. And I almost immediately then put that onto her, like, oh, my God, I've got to run. You've got to wrap this, like, sail up for me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've just become one of those people. We put pressure unnecessarily on other people when we don't create enough time. Mm. So on your point on that, it's not only that it helps us to 
style ourselves well and enjoy the process of shopping, but it also makes us much lovelier customers. I ended up having to do a run outside and run back in and then I kept shopping and had this really great experience. By the way, it was at Gorman, so shout out to Gorman. Um, but yeah, it was, I thought, oh shoot, I've just become that customer that all of a sudden is this whirlwind. Mm. And, um, and it's really hard to help someone find something that's authentically them when you're doing it on a really short time frame. Mm. So the more time, the better. Yeah. I also think if you're shopping online and you're having those garments delivered to home, don't just try it on as that single piece. I would try and look for ways that you can then try it on with the things that you own in your home already to make sure that you're getting that maximum return on investment. Have yeah. a play. Give yourself, you know, op- for me, it's like open a bottle of wine, put some Lizzo on and <laughs> have a good time. Um Hot tip with that though, make sure that if you are changing at home, take your high heels off before you change out of a pair of pants. Why would you say that, Claire? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Otherwise you will end up in the emergency department with a broken wrist in three places and needing surgery and it is not fun, let me tell you, especially when you call three people and no one can help you (laughs) (laughs) and you're home alone and all you've got is your dog staring at you like, what's happening? (laughs) Um, Safety first, everyone. Safety first. first. Um, Always take off the shoes. Absolutely. It's never worth trying to cut the corner. No, (laughs) it's really not. It's not worth the broken broken wrist. It is not. But shopping should also have an element of fun to it. So do explore things that aren't necessarily you because the beauty of shopping is as well you don't actually have to buy you can just try on yeah I remember a really funny experience um in it was in Asia some years ago and I walked into the store and the woman said come on in you don't have to buy you don't have to pay to look (laughs) I thought it was the strangest thing I was like (laughs) I don't have to pay to look of course that's called shopping um but I thought what a clever what a clever thing to say because if I hadn't have questioned it I would have been like oh great (laughs) Yeah. yeah but shopping try on what you want if it doesn't work put it back mm. I often share with our community the clothes don't have feelings you read my mind <laughs> yeah but the client always does so for us as stylists it's about how do we always elevate the confidence and the rapport that we have with our client because at the end of the day the garment can go back on the rack it's not going to care but that trust that we are constantly building with that client is far more valuable. Mm. I think I used to be nervous to ask for help in a store as well about that judgment. Tell me what you mean. So being curvy and having people tell me, you know, certain things should and shouldn't be worn. um, I was always nervous that if I took something in that they didn't agree with that I'd be judged or if I needed a bigger size, they'd tell me that it wasn't available. Yes, this is something that we hear all the time. You are not alone in that. I I can relate to that. I think there is some really elegant language here that would be worth sharing with anyone who is in retail or anyone who's just looking to evolve their style language. And that's to say, um, would you like another size or I will get you another size. And if you know your stuff well enough and you know what sizing that customer has taken into the fitting room, that should be enough for you to then read the situation. There is nothing worse than someone saying, oh, so you want the bigger size? Oh, I'll go and get you the 18. It's like, okay, but the whole 
store didn't need to know it. It's like if you were to go into the pharmacy and need something that you thought was really embarrassing and the next minute the pharmacist is yelling it from the back of the store to the front. It's like that didn't need to be shared with everyone. There was an ad I think years ago about Coles at the checkout and a guy's buying tampons and they're like, price check on Libra. And he just looks mortified. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. The, The power of language is often in fashion it's about discretion. It's about elegance when it comes to the feelings of the customer and the environment that you're creating for other people there. It's all about trust. Mm, Absolutely. I definitely know that the stores that I've experienced that level of service with, I will always go back to. And then I'm more willing to take clients in because I know how they treat their customers when they come in as well. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So, Aussie retail, I know we've spoken about it a little bit and also given a few tips, but uh, I want to dive into this a little bit because something that we know is that the experience that is created for us can really make or break our relationship with shopping. So unfortunately, there's a lot of people that said, oh no, I had such a bad experience that now they'll only shop online or they won't go back into that store. When really sometimes the stylist in me is like, but they have so many great things for you this season. If only we could get past that really bad experience that you had, um, because I know what's in there will actually be really great for you. And, And something that we're hearing a lot of at the moment is a frustration with, uh, with people who work in Australian retail saying that I'm sick of letting my customers down because they're coming in store expecting a styling experience and that's not what they're getting. I've not been given the skills to adequately style someone. I'm purely using my experience and product knowledge and that's not enough to cut it these days. You know, when people are taking the time to make the effort to head into a store um, they're finding a car park or, you know, they're getting, they're getting ready for that. It takes, it's an investment of time and energy before it's ever an investment of money. So Australian retail has, has a little way to go by little, I mean a lot Mm. and intentions and customer promises are not enough. We need to be delivering so that when you're in the fitting room, you're not worried about whether someone's going to call out a bigger size or that you can't ask for it because it's not there. We understand different retailers run different sizing, Mm. get that. But that fear that so many people have shouldn't be there and it won't be there if we know that the service that we're getting, the styling skills, the body shape awareness the diversity and inclusivity awareness exists. Mm. And, and I get what I'm saying could be perceived very biased perspective because, I, again, I say we train Aussie retailers, but there is a big gap at the moment and I get you can hear I'm very passionate about <laughs> this. There's a gap between what brands are promising and what they're delivering. Mm. We need to see it change. Definitely. I experience that sometimes when I'm in store researching and things like that and you know, someone will say, oh, yes, as a stylist. And I say, oh, great. That's so cool. Where did you train? Or, you know, where have you acquired your skills? And sometimes they can't tell me. They tell me they've worked in retail for 20 years. And it's not till I, you know, it's not saying that they can't acquire skills while in that space. Retail is a tough gig too. You know, I I worked in it for over 10 years. And a lot of it we do learn on the job. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what we've 
pointed out in this session today is that the language, the intention, the knowledge around different shapes, because especially when you can only understand fashion from your perspective, through your lens, through your body shape, it's very hard to make recommendations for other people when you're so, I guess, focused on what you perceive to be style and fashion, which is something that we, we always come back to. Yes. And also what your client or customer has been, because that's shifting, you know, as we're seeing more of a call out for brands to be more inclusive we know that retailers are seeing a sort of a different spectrum of customers than they were previously. And there are a lot of people, we hear them. I mean, we survey all of our retail clients when they start working with us. And the, the um, in-store stylists or sales assistants say one of the biggest concerns or areas of problem within my role is that I do not feel confident to make recommendations because I do not understand body shape. Yeah. I mean, our style is our identity, but our body shape is one of the most personal things that we have. Mm. And it's not okay now to say, oh, don't worry about your big bottom or someone who has bigger bust. And like, you cannot make, you cannot use that language without first having context. And that's what, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that we help our clients to do is to establish context so that language is not misunderstood. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's enough self-promotion and passion <laughs> on this topic. I just really feel like, our, you know, there's it's not just about acquiring pieces when you shop. It's about maintaining your confidence, mm. ideally growing it. And too often we hear that that's not the case. Is there a time that you you've there's like a m- very memorable shopping experience for you? A good one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm like, please, let's go the positive. Yeah. I a lot of negative, but... Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's where there has to be vulnerability on the side of the um, customer as well, where you actually give over a level of what you might perceive or not perceive, but actually be control that you think you know what's best. The best shopping experiences I've ever had are where I've been introduced to products where um, if it didn't work, the sales assistant agreed. And what they made was a recommendation for something else as opposed to convincing me that that was a garment worth purchasing. And that's, that's you know, what all of us in retail and as sales assistants, like that's our absolute goal is to be able to say, no, that doesn't work. Get it off, but try this on instead. You know, we're not there to push something even though, um, or not always, even though that might be the perception. But great experiences when it comes to uh, shopping for clients is where, um, as we're wrapping up, for example, the last pieces or purchase, uh, a team member, should they have the time, are actually steaming that garment and putting it in a garment bag so that we can take it with. Or rather than me having to jump online to see where else it might be available, it's already being done. Or if we're making a purchase of multiple items, and this is clearly a winner brand for this customer, they're actually getting them brand involved. You know, they're not just saving their VIP events for influencers. Mm. They're actually putting them on the list and they're inviting them into store to show them what's coming out in a new collection. They're creating customers that feel part of their community. And that's where I know that I'm doing my job is where I can leave a customer feeling more integrated and excited and confident about fashion than before we started working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But plenty of great experiences. You know what? It only takes someone who knows what they're talking about and genuinely cares to love love a fashion experience. It doesn't have to be about exclusivity and champagne or bottled water. 
Champagne helps for me, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was talking to um, one of our graduates and stylists last night, actually, and she was saying um, that she's exploring a lot more lately the um, the luxury bias that goes on. She said, I'm so sick of walking into a designer store and if I'm wearing a bag of theirs, I get great service and I get offered a bottle of water or a champagne. And if I don't, I get completely overlooked. And it's like, yeah, that's 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 been part of retail, but, you know, it's a lot more than that. Anyway, I digress. So um, shopping, now is the best time to shop. The reason is because the earlier in the season that we're heading into, the more options that you'll have, particularly if you find your body shape a little more challenging or your style is one that you don't want to be wearing the same thing as everybody else. While the seasons are always changing and drops are changing, what used to happen traditionally is that we would have shorter drops at the beginning of the season. So like a first, um, first winter or first autumn winter which is a shorter run, shorter pieces and an introduction. By shorter, you mean the time frame that it's available in available store and the, and the run, amount the of units, the units, quantity. Yeah. Yep. So they're usually the pieces that um, because they're not high summer, for example, they're going to be more transseasonal. So if you travel, if you're someone who likes to layer up and ideally the pieces that you're purchasing aren't going to be sitting on the sale rack at the end of the season, that is the best time. So I, my, my recommendation is... Um, if you're shopping for winter when it's freezing, you're too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just given that you mentioned sale, I'm curious because a lot of people will say they'll only buy something if it's on sale. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? There is nothing wrong with buying something on sale, but if that is the parameters in which you will shop, it means that you're, depending on the, the week that you're shopping, you may be minimizing the options that you have down to about 30%. So if you were to take away the idea of needing to be on sale, then you suddenly have a lot more choice available. And the other thing is that often garments are on sale for a reason, meaning that there has been um, an issue with the fit. So don't rely on your usual size. Um, you might need to size up or size down. It could be that um, the shape that is usually or the pattern that the brand usually cut for works for you and your body shape, but maybe in this piece it doesn't, as an example. Um, and I think finally when it comes on to sale, it's still spending money. So if it's not something that you need, you really want to consider is it actually about saving you money or is this just still a spend so, you know, there's an old adage that if you'd pay full price for it, then you should buy it on sale. I think that still holds up. Um, but sale is very much more about the best sale shoppers are actually the people that know their style best mm. and their shape best because they can kind of navigate the clutter um, because, yeah, um, yeah. Sale, sale shopping is just, it can be a little more hit and miss, which is mm. why sometimes the garments are there. But it doesn't mean that it's bad. Um, it it should just be like everything now. It should be more necessary. Mm. You know, we're, we're trying to slim down our wardrobes and not have so much excess of stuff. And, you know, we talk capsule, we've spoken a lot on, on previous episodes about more sustainable thinking and, and yeah, sale, sales the same. Yeah. 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 We've cool. done a lot of talking today. It's something yeah. that we're clearly really passionate about. Um, I guess a parting word from me would be that shopping is something that is and can be fun. 
So if it's not for you at the moment that way, then ask yourself, what is it? Is it because you haven't allocated a budget? So you're shopping with lack, you're just shopping for all the things you can't have. Is it that maybe you're not sure where to go, in which case it'd be worth doing some research or asking someone whose style you like, you know, where they shop, maybe hunt down their social media. Um, and, um, and I think finally to create some more fun in it, it's just being willing to have conversations with the people who are in store that can actually make recommendations that you wouldn't you know, maybe things you wouldn't usually try. Mm. Any parting words from you? I would say if you're someone who generally goes shopping with a particular friend or family member and you always walk away feeling a little bit deflated, not saying that the friend or family member is the reason, but I'd say maybe change up who you're shopping with or shop on your own. And just, you know, sometimes people's opinions or when they know us really well, they might make recommendations, but it's actually based on what they like, not what you like. We see so many bad opinions given from people who do not have the authority to give them. You know, a friend or family member might have the best of intentions, but they see your style through the lens in which you've presented it to them over the last months, years, decades. So when they're giving you their opinion on whether they think it's you or not, they're simply keeping you in the same box that you're already in because it's how they know you mm. and they don't have necessarily the awareness or skills otherwise. It's not through any kind of ill intent. It's simply that you may have not articulated to them how it is you want your style to evolve and how you want to look from now and moving forward. So mm. such a good point. Yeah, Claire, thank you for joining me again. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rule Breaker, Style Maker. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, podcast news and what we do at ASI, be sure to follow our Instagram at Australian Style Institute. And if you're wanting to follow my own personal style journey and all things human behaviour of style, then you can follow my personal account at Lauren D. Bartolo. And I'll see you in the next episode.